0: You're listening to Earth Lads Roundup. Welcome to EarthLads Roundup. This is a show where we talk through the most pressing environmental stories of the day and attempt to navigate this climate crisis that we're now living through together, you and me both. Everything's better with a friend. (laughs) I am your host. My name is Michael Finelli. And today's episode is going to have, we're going to talk about several things, but it's going to have a little bit more structure than the previous one but not too much structure because if you get too much things get stiff gets boring that's no fun uh, but we will have named segments which i'm pretty excited about um, first up first segment is called what's in the news by the way these names are still pending and they're subject to change at any time uh, but for now that's what we're going with pretty self-explanatory what's in the news we go through a few of the top headlines that you may have missed or i think maybe you should think a little deeper about okay um so here we go the summer of 2021 which we've just wrapped up here recently was hotter than the dust bowl so we set the record for the hottest summer ever um the dust bowl if you're not familiar was that crazy thing that happened throughout the 1930s but particularly 1936 was the hottest summer, I guess, Um, led to thousands of deaths and crop failures. There's those pictures from um, that era of giant dust clouds rolling through the Midwest. And yeah, we exceeded that. So congrats. Um, Another noteworthy point about this was that the heat waves this summer were especially uh, noteworthy at nighttime. So if you live in a building without air conditioning and thought it seemed particularly difficult to fall asleep due to the feeling of baking in your bed, you're not alone. I also felt that way and we're not crazy. So that's good to know. But yeah, that's part of a trend that aligns with climate model predictions. So here we are again uh, manifesting what the climate modelers saw coming Um, across the U.S., the nights are warming faster than the days, and that effect is actually amplified, as most heating is in cities, which are typically warmer than surrounding areas. Okay, next. So as things stand, the current international promises for reducing greenhouse gas usage would actually cause a rise in those Greenhouse gas emissions over the coming decades and throughout the century would cause a catastrophic rise in global temperatures up to 2.7. Some sources are saying even higher than that. Um, so that's bad. But we we kind of knew this was the case, right? That the current, as things stand, the goals that are set out are not uh, sufficient, right? This is what we've been talking about. The last UN report kind of got to that point. And it's the reason that there's so much pressure on the US and other countries to really up the ante in Glasgow in November and see if we can uh, actually make a dent in this thing. Because through just in the next decade, emissions are poised to grow by 16%. (laughs) And as you remember, that we have to cut those emissions by hopefully a quarter or even half with by in the next decade so uh a lot has to be changed there and what it says is that every single country but particularly the biggest countries and the largest emitters have to set really aggressive seemingly outrageous goals things that will sound to you to be outrageous but you the concerned citizen need to be ready to embrace that and support that and enthusiastically Uh, cheer them on in those policies. As a former head of the United Nations Climate Agency, Christiana Figueres said in a statement, quote, all other geopolitical issues will fade into irrelevance if we fail to rise to the existential challenge that climate change presents. How eloquent. Uh, I said something similar, similar to that last time. Um, I should be in the UN climate agency, but it's true, right? Um, we have to prioritize this. And if we, if we don't take serious action on it immediately, then, um, nothing else is really going to be relevant anymore because the earth will have melted away. Um, so yeah, just watch closely as things ramp up towards cop 26 in November, um, and be ready to embrace and support broad sweeping systems change okay next up uh so we have china promised to stop financing coal plants overseas this is a rare good news story in the climate crisis uh this was a big one um in recent years china has been investing heavily in coal plants throughout the rest of the world and they promised that they're going to stop doing that um It sends a really important message that they're willing to make some moves in the right direction, and uh, hopefully it marks the beginning of the end of coal um, as an energy source. But there are some important caveats that come with this. Um, China as a country is still heavily reliant on coal domestically, um, and they're still building it out pretty aggressively so last year alone, they brought on 38 gigawatts of new coal plants, uh, which comes out to about one per week. And you know they're currently the biggest emitter of fossil fuels. Historically, the U.S. has emitted the most, but as of today, China is the biggest emitter. And so, within this climate crisis, we are somewhat at their mercy to to bring those emissions down. And if you're not familiar with the story on on China, uh, they have built out tons of solar and other renewables in recent years. So good on them for that. But they are also still building out coal plants, uh, as I just described. And what they're promising now is that they're aiming to peak their emissions in the year 2030. Um, (laughs) So what that means is, for the next nine years or so, they're going to continue expanding their fossil fuel use. So they're going to keep raising it up until 2030 is what they're aiming for. So that there, there's a lot of pressure on them from the international community that hopefully they can uh, turn that around. But uh, we'll see what happens. So keep an eye on that as well. Um, all right, that has been What's in the News. Next up, we have The Golden State of Affairs. All right, so The Golden State of Affairs. This name I actually like. We'll probably be sticking with this one. So first, I would like to address the fact that in the last episode, while I was on my soapbox pitching the necessity of electric cars, I realized after the fact that I neglected to discuss... The alternative of public transit, very irresponsibly of me. Um, so, to clarify, I am fully supportive of public transit. I recognize that moving people and mass is absolutely more sustainable than people moving in individual vehicles. And I think that we should invest heavily in expanding and improving public transportation. That said, Two important things here. First, no matter how appealing public transit becomes, there's always going to be a certain number of people who just love that quintessential American value of driving your own car, right? You in the open road. That's just that grisly American thing. And yes, many of those people probably also like to hear the rumble of a gasoline-powered engine, but we need to get as many of them into electric vehicles as possible as quickly as possible. The other issue is that, um, this ideal scenario of a highly appealing public transit system is a long way off. Um, especially in places like Southern California where our cities and communities are so spread out. Um, and we can't wait around for those upgrades to happen. They need to happen. They should happen. And hopefully in 10, 15, 20 years, we live in that public transit utopia. But we have to decarbonize the trans- transportation sector immediately. And the option that we have immediately is electric cars and it's worth noting that these public transit infrastructure projects inevitably run into bureaucratic hurdles take for example the infamous california bullet train project which yet again hit another funding impasse a few weeks ago Um, yes that's more of a broad scale big picture project but it is indicative of the delays that come with any public transit project Um, Okay. Next, in the world of California, I want to discuss the wildfires that have been threatening the giant sequoias, one of our most majestic natural offerings in the great state of California. Um, So this was pretty scary for a while. Uh, It still is scary, but um, several weeks back, uh, I think the KNP complex fire Uh, there's a few fires going on in that area but I think that was the dangerous one the most dangerous one because the biggest tree in the world actually called General Sherman um, and others nearby uh, were in danger of being burned down but luckily uh, those I think are out of harm's way at this point but There are other giant sequoias that are still in danger. Um, Historically, these trees don't burn. Um, They survive hundreds and thousands of years of natural wildfires. But uh, last year's historic fires killed over 10% of the sequoia population because the fires were burning at such high intensity um, that they were able to get up to the canopies of these trees that are hundreds of feet off the ground. Um, and then they burn down, but luckily, uh, you know, there's a lesson that can be taken from this, that in areas that have been cleared or well taken care of with prescribed burns, uh, the fires burned less intensely and were actually beneficial so fun fact sequoias actually rely on fires to open their seed pods and reproduce um they only open at that high the high heat of a fire and um the fires also clear the ground of the smaller brush to make room for their little sequoia babies so um small smaller lower intensity fires are actually beneficial for um the giant sequoias so keep an eye on those fires and hopefully there aren't too many other uh, sequoias damaged this year and in future years we will uh, do the necessary maintenance to protect all of them Um, okay so news from sacramento our state capital specifically uh, on september 24th uh, governor Newsom signed, I can't call him Governor Newsom, It's <laughs> is Gavin, he doesn't get the governor. Um, on September 24th, Gavin Newsom signed off on a $15 billion package to address climate change and its effects. Uh, the largest portion of that, about $5 billion, is going to go towards funding for emergency drought relief projects and expanding the state's water supplies. Um, also in there is about $3.5 billion to address climate change risks, uh, investing in projects that should mitigate extreme heat and tackle rising sea levels. Um, and then there's a little bit, $1.5 billion to prevent wildfire risk in forests. That's all according to Gavin's office. Um, okay, that is all we have for golden state of affairs today next up it's we the nation okay we the nation this part we will talk about all things us of a Uh, so real quick i want to mention the solar announcement that biden made uh, back on september 8th they announced plans to move to 45 percent solar power by 2050 Um, For reference, we are currently at about 4% uh, solar usage nationally. So scaling that up would require doubling the amount of solar installed every year over the next four years and then doubling that again by 2030. So as you listen to that, uh, this is what I'm talking about, right? That sort of thing probably sounds outrageous. Like that is a very outlandish sounding plan but the fact of the matter is that this is what's in line with what the scientific consensus says is necessary to avoid catastrophic climate change so we need to embrace our minds around <laughs> these outlandish sounding um, plans. Uh, one thing that might make this sound more realistic though is that the cost of solar has actually fallen dramatically in the past five, ten years, and it's actually the cheapest source of energy uh, in many parts of the country. So that should be encouraging. Uh, the way that Biden wants to go about making this happen, uh, there's a number of different strategies varying from tax credits to individuals and businesses. Um and all the way to expediting installation permits, but we'll go over the big parts of that in the next section, because I'm going to break down the two bills in Congress. Okay, so if you've been following national politics at all recently, you've surely heard about the two giant bills that have been bouncing around the halls of Congress. Uh, the first of those is a bipartisan bill that has already been passed on a bipartisan basis in the Senate um, back in early August, I think. Um, that one is about $1 trillion, but only about half of that is new spending, important to keep in mind, and um, the other bill much bigger, uh, the other one is three and a half trillion. And that one Democrats are planning to pass on a party line vote through a budget process called reconciliation that I don't fully understand. And so we're not going to get into today. Um, so there's currently a standoff between moderates and progressives who the progressives are threatening to vote down the bipartisan bill that was already passed in the Senate. If, uh, Unless until their larger $3.5 trillion bill is passed along with it, so they're kind of like holding it hostage unless they get this bigger bill. Um, okay, so let's talk about what's in each of these. And a quick disclaimer that the details are constantly changing since they're currently being debated in Congress, but uh, I tried to bring you the most current information, so I'm pretty sure. This is all accurate. Um, okay, so let's talk about the first one, the $1 trillion uh, bipartisan bill that was passed in the Senate on August 10th. There it is. It's in my notes here. Um, so this one was bipartisan, and it's referred to as the traditional or physical infrastructure bill, um, whereas the bigger one is re- referred to as the environmental one, environmental and social Human infrastructure one. Uh, that's not really fair though, because there's actually a lot in the smaller bipartisan one that would directly and indirectly address climate change. And a lot of those infrastructure improvements are planned to be done in a way that will make the country more resilient to these worsening climate events that are already happening. Uh, for example, so big part of this roads and bridges. Um, improving those, rebuilding those. But within that, there's a focus on climate change mitigation and safety for cyclists and pedestrians, importantly, who don't emit any carbon last time I checked. Um, And then there's another chunk to modernize public transit, which includes transitioning rail and bus fleets to zero emission vehicles. There you go, that's <laughs> that's a direct uh, effect on climate change. There's investments in ports and airports, again, with a focus on reducing emissions, uh, I think by integrating more lower emission buses. And then there's a few that are directly um, addressing climate change. So um, there's seven and a half billion for zero and low emission buses and ferries around the country. Um, there's another $7.5 billion for a nationwide network of plug-in electric vehicle chargers. Uh, there's a $65 billion to rebuild the electric grid. Um, that is necessary. That is a necessary thing that needs to happen in order to expand our reliance on renewable energy. If we're going to transition to uh, majority renewable energy sources... Our electricity grid needs to be overhauled. So, investing in that allows that to happen. Um, there's another chunk to upgrade water infrastructure, replacing lead pri- pipes around the country. Um, not necessarily climate change related, but it's definitely an environmental and environmental justice issue. Um, another chunk to make the utility system more resilient against drought, floods, and cyber attacks. And then there's another $21 billion to clean up Superfund and Brownfield sites, as well as reclaim abandoned mine land and cap orphaned gas wells. So cleaning up the messes that have already been made. All that to say is that uh, I by no means am suggesting that this bill is sufficient on its own. Um, We definitely need the bigger bill as well because uh, this bill by itself would not Um, transition our our energy resources it wouldn't it wouldn't cut greenhouse gas emissions um, nearly as fast as we need to so um, but i just think it's it's important that we recognize that there are actually several um, environmental and climate related provisions even in this bipartisan bill so okay let's talk about the big daddy uh the three and a half trillion dollar bill. Um, So this one is definitely still changing uh, and might be scaled down, more than likely will be scaled down and and or changed before it reaches its final form. But it has been referred to, as I said, as the human infrastructure bill, because the bulk of it goes towards strengthening the social safety net. Um, Some pretty revolutionary stuff in there just to uh, rattle off a few of the highlights in that sense, Um, universal pre-K, creating a federal paid medical leave program up to three months of paid medical leave, which sounds crazy, but would actually just put us on par with most other developed countries, Uh, two free years of community college, extending the child tax credit, lowering prescription drug prices, investing in home-based services, and improving public school infrastructure. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff in there, a lot of more details there, but um, that's not what this podcast is about. But I just wanted to mention them. Uh, aside from that, there are some really important climate fighting provisions in there. The biggest is a $150 billion um, segment, I don't know, for lack of a better word, uh, that would pay utility companies to switch to renewable sources. Uh, so that would be an incentive for them to power people's homes using renewable energy. And then there would also be penalties if they didn't transition to renewable sources uh, quickly enough. So on top of that, there's uh, a lot more money to go into those EV charging stations as well as converting trucks to electric um, and then a tax credit for individuals who buy electric cars. Uh, there's another really important fee on methane uh, emissions, uh, and then as well as agricultural conservation, drought and forestry programs. Um, there's workforce development programs, which sound really cool. Uh, and among those, jobs, which are directed at fighting climate change and then what i assume must be biden's personal favorite part of this is the civilian climate corps which is an ode to fdr's civilian conservation corps aiming to employ young people to conserve public land and water around the country and uh, build up community resilience just employing people to do the manual labor of uh of reinforcing the country against climate change. So I, I thought that one was uh, particularly inspirational. So yeah, definitely keep an eye on these. Um, take-home message here for me is uh, that the environmental benefits of the bipartisan one are kind of being overlooked, but uh, the, the stuff outlined in the bigger bill are the kind of thing that could actually uh, help the U.S. do its part to prevent runaway global warming in the coming decades so i'll be watching this closely and really hoping that if the bill has to be pared down to get past that these critical environmental components are kept intact and if this all sounds like too much money to spend um I would encourage you to consider the hundreds of billions of dollars the government is having to spend on disaster relief and how much those numbers will balloon out of control in the coming years if we don't take action right now, and then consider this as an investment in preventing that increasing damage. Or, you know, if that doesn't do it for you, consider that if sea levels keep rising, the New York Stock Exchange will be underwater pretty soon and your money won't matter anyways <laughs> alright that's uh, that's all for we the nation, moving along to our fourth and final segment, the bigger picture, alright so the final segment is called the bigger picture and here I will just leave you with something, something to chew on, and take on your way really put things in perspective um, so for today I want to talk about Two leaders uh, from Europe. The first is Angela Merkel, the great Angela Merkel. Uh, Her time as German Chancellor is coming to a close. Uh, The German people voted on a new government the other day and they are currently hammering out exactly what that's going to look like because they have a parliamentary system. Um, During her 16 years in office, long time, um, she undersaw the transformation of their power sector to the point that I mentioned this in the intro, they're one of the inspirational stories that in 2020, they were using nearly half um, renewable energy. Um, you know, that's under, that's her doing. Um, she was also leading international conversations around the world. Uh, about reducing emissions. She played a leading role in the Paris Climate Accords. Um, Anyways, as I was listening to coverage about this the other day, about her stepping down and what a new government in Germany might look like, I was shocked to learn that Merkel was actually from the center-right party in Germany. Um, They have several relevant parties there, unlike our stupid two-party system, but she is from the main conservative party, in germany and yet she was this famously aggressive leader when it came to fighting climate change so keeping that in mind as we shift to boris johnson the prime minister of the united kingdom um he's definitely conservative um if you're not familiar he is the head of the UK's main conservative party, similar to Merkel, um, but he was a big proponent of Brexit, and in <clears throat> was largely brought on to lead the country through the Brexit process. And he was occasionally compared to Trump, which I always thought was kind of a stretch, but it happened. People <laughs> people said that, um, and um, he was in the US last week uh, speaking to the UN General Assembly, where he was adamantly aggressively championing his climate policies worldwide Um, here's a little bit of that
1: my friends the adolescence of humanity is coming to an end and must come to an end we're approaching that critical turning point in less than two months in just over 40 days when we must show that we are capable of learning and maturing and finally taking responsibility for the destruction we are inflicting, not just upon our planet, but upon ourselves. It's time for humanity to grow up.
0: Damn right it is, Boris. (laughs) Man, I would be hooting and hollering if I was in that hall. Um, Yeah, he's exactly right. Um, And, you know, I, I bring up these examples just to demonstrate the stark difference that exists between conservative leaders of other leading Western democracies and conservative leaders in America. Um, These leaders are not only accepting the reality, but they are preaching the word of climate change. They are touring the international community arguing for making more aggressive climate policies. So um, just... Consider that bigger picture as you watch these environmental policy debates unfolding here in the U.S. Uh, and I will leave you with one final bit from Boris.
1: And when Kermit the Frog, Comet the Frog, sang, it's not easy being green. You remember that one? I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. It is easy. It's not only easy, it's lucrative, and it's right to be But He was also unnecessarily rude to Miss Piggy, I thought.
0: <laughs> well put, Boris. All right, leaving you with that. Uh, this has been another episode of Earth Lads Roundup. I'm Michael Finelli. Thanks so much for listening.